I want to deliver a message to you today entitled, The Cost of Love. The Cost of Love. It's, it's, it's Valentine's week. Some of the guys went, oh. <laughs> you know, February is com- commonly thought of as the, the month of love, and everything's all about love and hearts everywhere, and everyone's probably considering, well, hopefully all you husbands and, uh, are considering what you might do for your sweetheart on Valentine's Day. You know, maybe you're going to buy chocolates. All right, I got a single amen. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're going to send her to get a massage and a foot, foot rub. I got two, okay. Maybe you're going to uh, take her, <laughs> maybe you're going to take her out for supper and a movie. Yeah. Maybe you're going to buy her a new diamond ring. Uh, yeah. I saw that coming. Did you all see that coming? Yeah. Woohoo! All those things. But here's the point, whatever you're going to do. It's going to cost you something, whatever it is, from, you know, a 99-cent candy bar. Know who's there? What's the matter? To, you know, a $5,000 diamond ring. (laughs) Might as well think big, right? right. How long y'all been married? 13 years. Okay. 13 carats, man. That's a... So, yeah, well, anyway, the point being, this is the week where everyone should be thinking about it, and love should be on our mind, and what we're, we're going to do, but there's a love that surpasses every other love that's ever been anywhere, and it's the love of God. Nothing compares to the love of God, nothing at all, and yet, you need to know that even for God, the creator of all things, the one who spoke and planets were hung in their positions, the one who formed mankind out of clay and breathed life into his lungs. In all of this, even for God, love cost him dearly. The cost of love. Love's never free. Love always costs you something. Can I get an amen from somebody? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved you and me, that he gave his only. Think about that. His only. It cost him something, and nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to the love of God, nothing whatsoever. There's a great song, one of the, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest songs ever penned in terms of its content that uh, I probably quote in a sermon every time I preach about love, and it's a song that I love to sing, and it was, in, it was written in 1917 by Frederick Lehman, and it's probably the one song that I, in my estimation, that comes as close as possible to describing what the love of God is really like, and yet no one can really pin that. This comes close. It's called, of course, the love of God. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. 
his erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. I love this next verse. And could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies a parchment made? And were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Man, there was some anointing on that cat right there when he wrote that. Oh, the love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong it shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels' song. What a picture. If the oceans were ink... In the sky, a parchment to write on, and every stalk on earth a quill, and every human being a scribe would drain the oceans dry to try to describe the love of God, though stretched from sky to sky. That's profound to me. And even for God, though, the cost of love was high, very high. Way more than a $5,000 13-carat diamond ring. I'm not prophesying or anything. The sister went, oh, man. He loves us so freely. He loves us so unconditionally. He loves us so completely. And yet we who are created in his image, supposed to be like him, look like him, think like him, act like him. We pale in comparison to showing that same kind of love to other people. We tend to love conditionally. We tend to love when there's something in it for us in return. That's how we tend to love sometimes. Even for God, the cost was so high. So high. Can you imagine it? Nothing compares to the love of God. Do you know that that's true? Do you believe it this morning? Amen. I've thought a lot about this. Love. I mean, I love my wife so much, it's just painful sometimes. Good painful. I didn't say that she was causing me pain. Although she has nailed me to the proverbial cross a time or two, as I'm sure I have her. But even that love, that Rick's love is not good enough for her. Your spouse's love, Toby's love, I'm sure it's fantastic. But it's not, it, it can't even compare to the love that God has for you. Your mama's love pales in comparison to God's love for you. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message uh, entitled, A New Command. And it came from a verse in John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35 where it says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, 
How are we to love one another? As he has loved us. That's the, that is the marker. That is the, uh, uh, the bar that's raised for us. How am I supposed to love Diane in the same way that Christ loved her? So he says, I give you a, command, a new command, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I preached that message about a new command that, quite frankly, the proof in the pudding that you're actually a disciple of Jesus Christ is how you love somebody else. It's not how much you go to church, how finely you may dress in church, how big your offerings may be, what kind of financial support you may give, how hard you work in any given ministry. You can stand on the street corner with a sandwich sign preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that is not the definition, the, the marker on how the bar that we're supposed to have set before us on how we love somebody else. We're supposed to love them the way Jesus loved. Um, this is, I, I think I already did number one and number two, even though I didn't say number one and number two. And I don't know whether they did it on the screen or not, but we're going to go straight to number three out of four. Jesus' instruction is that we love others in the same way that he loves us. And how we do that proves whether or not we are actually his disciples. Now, if that don't poke you, there's not another thing I could say in a message that could poke you more specifically than that. If you and I are to love others just like he loves us, then I think it begs the question, well, then how did he love me? If I'm supposed to love Diane the way he loves me, and that is the uh, measuring rod of my discipleship or my love for him, then it would be, it would beg the, the question and the research to go, well, then how does he love me, right? Because if if, otherwise I can't repeat it. And although there are multiple ways, because we just read, if the ocean was filled with ink, I can think of one way specifically that was probably the ultimate way, and that is he died for us. He died for you and me. The, that is the answer. How did he love me? He sacrificed everything for me. He sacrificed everything for you. He died for you, you, every single human being. He gave his life. What did he give? He gave his life. He didn't give a 99-cent candy bar. He gave his life. I don't know whether that seems profound to you or not, and I'm, again, I'm not trying to be melodramatic or anything, but when I think about that, it jolts me. Because I am not in any way, shape, or manner qualified for that love. Can I get a witness from the rest of you holy sinners? Don't deserve it. Can't earn it. Yet he gave it to me. Even when I was, boy, was I a, excuse my verbiage, a crappy mess. And yet he loved me. 
And if that don't jolt you, we need to get the CPR, get the CPR team out and give you a little cardio resuscitation. He gave us life. His love for you cost him everything. And the measuring rod that we are actually his disciples, that we actually love him, is that we love others in the same way he loves us. In other words, if his love for me cost him everything, then why am I holding back on what my love for others might cost me? What does love require? That's a a phrase I think we've all heard. What does love require of me? We love to say it, but we don't love to imagine what that might be like that if love costs you everything. We tend to love others when it's convenient. And yet, there was no convenience in the way that he showed love for us. None. We tend to love others when it's beneficial for us. And yet, he loved us to his own harm. In fact, his very last breath. We tend to love others when it's comfortable to do so. And yet, he loved us through torment and torture. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. And do not forget this. How we love others. This, you know, when this really, I'm not saying this is new revelation because it's not, but sometimes God really sparks stuff in, in one's heart. And it's just, you know, it's like a logos, written word becomes a rhema, living, life-changing word. And when that came into my heart as a living, life-changing word, that how I love others is the measurement by which I love God. That rocked me. Because I began to not think, well, how am I loving God? I began to think, how am I loving others? Because we all got our, listen, don't we all have our religious idea about how good we are? Yeah? Yeah? Because we compare ourselves to the center down the road. So we all have a pretty good idea of how good we are. And so we don't compare ourselves to, you know, to God in that fashion. We compare ourselves to others, and therefore we love others less than we ought. And, and, and the rhema word that I've got now living in my heart is that the proof in how I love God is how I love others. In fact, the inverse of that is that if I don't love others right, then I actually don't love God right. And if that's not startling, cold glass of water in the face should do it. So, we love when it's convenient. We love when it's comfortable. We love when it's beneficial. But that in no way, shape, or manner is the image of how Christ loves you. How do you love others? Do you love others only when it's convenient? Do you love others only when it's beneficial to you? Do you love others only when it's comfortable? What does love cost you?
Because if it costs you nothing, it's not the love of God. I know that, you know, some people say, well, why do you got to preach hard messages? And I said to you so many times that, you know, when I go to God and say, Lord, you've caused me to preach hard messages now for several weeks. Would you please give me a message on love? And the Lord would speak to my heart. Son, if I have to have you preach about love, it's because there's a whole lot of people that need a hard message about love. We're not re- we really aren't very good at this that I'm describing to you. And I, I, I don't want to be good in the eyes of man. I, I want to be pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And I, but I want to learn how to love better. And love has to cost me something. It was a few weeks ago, one of those, one of the storms we had. I'm driving down the road. I mean, it's nasty out. And there's a, a van on the side of the road. And a lady standing out behind the van, waving her arms as traffic flies by. And I thought, I've been at the church for 12 hours. Ministered to people all day long. Some of them that did receive it and some of them that didn't. What will love cost you? Turned that vehicle around, went back there and pulled up and made that lady get in my truck and stay warm because she already called her grandson to come help her. Listen, I'm not sharing that. This is not, check out what I did. That's not what I'm talking about. But love costs you something. It, caused, it will cause you inconvenience to stop and help someone on the side of the road. It may cost you money to take them in and pay for a tow truck to tow their vehicle. But what will love cost you? Because if it doesn't cost you, it's not the love of God. It's a human bar. It's a, a human measuring rod of love. And I don't know about you, but I haven't been very good at it as a human measuring rod. That sounds like a good time to close. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Now, pause. The world, the world doesn't just mean all of humanity. It does mean that, but it also means the world means all those that stood in opposition to him, all those that were his enemies, all those who had not received him. He loved, he didn't just love his children. He didn't just love those that came to his church. He didn't just love those who said, you are my God, you are my God. He loved all, even those that are in disagreement with him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. I love this verse, man. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. What does that mean? While I was still in complete opposition to God, while I was still serving my own self as my own idol and my own God, he loved me and sent his son to die for me, even in the midst of that mess. He didn't wait for me to go, boo, 
boom, I think I need God. Okay, I love you now. You have a Bible? Uh, that was my introduction. I went straight from introduction to close, just saying. No, really, I'm, I am bringing it to an end. But I want to read a passage of Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn them with me to 1 John. Let me say something about John for a minute. I want you to think about it. John the Beloved, John the Revelator, same guy. It was John who was, by appearances of what's written in Scripture, the one that was closest to the Lord Jesus of all the disciples that were there. John was a part of the 12 disciples. John, when he wrote Revelation, it is believed that John was probably the only surviving disciple left on earth. He was the only one. He was with Jesus through it all. He was the only disciple that stayed at the cross when he was crucified. The rest abandoned Christ. He was the only one. In fact, he was so beloved to our Lord Jesus Christ that he, Jesus gave his mother to him at the crucifixion. You all know the story. John knew if anyone could potentially take the oceans filled with ink and every stalk of quill and potentially write on the parchments of sky the best possible description of what love looked like, it might be John the Beloved. And yet he is just so challenging in his writings about love. We love to read them because they roll off the tongue so poetically and they sound so good, but they should jab you right where you don't want to be jabbed. So, that being said, I think that I would give John some super-duper credence and credibility in his description of God's love, right? With Jesus the whole time, the only one who didn't abandon Jesus, the only one who stayed at the cross, Jesus gave his mama to him. The only surviving disciple left on earth, and he's writing about God's love and human love. Are you ready? Either, either this is riveting and challenging, or I am bored, boring you silly because you all are just staring at me. Everything's in place, right? I don't Good, praise God. All right. I know we don't have seat belts on these chairs, but you should just pretend and buckle up because I'm not preaching. Right now I'm reading the words of the one person who may have had the greatest credibility in giving us a description of this. Are you ready? First John chapter 4. And I'm going to start with verse 7, and we'll finish the entire chapter, and then we'll, we'll all go home and look down our noses at other people. <sighs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God, or for God is love. Now, how did Jesus say that we are to love others? In the same way he loved us. That was what he said. So just like I did it, you do it. And so John is saying, he who does not love, and there's the measuring rod, right? Doesn't even love God. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, verse 9 it is, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And based on Jesus' description, in John 13, how are we to love one another? May I hear it? Just like he loved us. That's the measuring rod. There is no other measuring rod. No one, verse 12, has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. Now, please understand, that's not saying that we are known as his and he in us because he's given us his spirit. It's by how we love, and that comes by the grace of the Holy Spirit. See, human, Rick's human love can't love like this. Are you understand what I'm saying? A few weeks ago, I, I did an altar invitation, and I invited people to invite Christ to love them for the very first time. And I've had a number of people who are Christians for many years said, Pastor, thank you. I've never asked him to love me. Mm. Maybe we ought to ask him to help us love like he loves. Because human beings can't do it on their own volition. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me love like Christ's love. Are you hearing me? Verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him what is being implied, many times in Scripture, you can inverse a Scripture and understand what is being implied as the opposite. For example, God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. The inverse is he who does not abide in love does not abide in God and God does not abide in them. That's startling to me that I can walk my entire Christian walk not loving others as Christ loved me and stand before him someday and fearfully hear him say, sorry, but I never knew you. It's startling. I know, I know, those of the eternal security ideology don't like that concept. But I, I ain't willing to risk it. 
I'd be one of those that would stand before him and say, yeah, but, 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 but 25 years I pastored the church. I took care of people. They ran all over me and beat me up sometimes, and I still loved them, and I, I spoke in tongues, and I prophesied, and I laid hands on people and, and healed them, and I must have preached 5,000 messages for you. But you didn't know me. Or you didn't love others like I loved you. And my scripture clearly says, that I abide in you when you love others the way I've loved you. Are y'all all right? Are y'all all right? Is everybody all right? I, I am going to bring it to an end, I promise. I will have only preached to you when it's all said and done 20 minutes. It's all good? Praise God. Okay, 20 more. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> 20, I'm serious. When I get done, I'll preach 20 minutes. Uh, where am I at? Oh, yeah. Verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. What did I just talk about? <laughs> because as he is, so are we. Where? With all of those that we love. Is that what it says? Because as he is, so are we with our family and our friends. Is that what it says? Because as he is, so are we in this world. For God so loved the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I'm going to finish up with the last two verses. If someone says, are you ready? White knuckle your chairs now. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. I know. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? You see, this whole thing that I've been trying to get to you all, that the measuring rod of how you love God is how you love others, is John is validating it for us right in here. And a brother is, is quite frankly, different than a neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbors Remember, neighbor was everyone. But what's a brother? Someone who's a part of your personal fellowship. Whether it's a fellowship within the church or a fellowship within a family. So a brother becomes a little bit different than a neighbor. And this is saying, oh, I can say I love God. And sing the love of God. And have all of the right trimmings of the love of God. And not love my brother. And according to the one guy who probably has the most credibility in understanding the heart of Christ, he says, I'm a liar. I wish somebody would rescue me from this difficult moment right now. This week is Valentine's week. 
I'm actually just starting all over again. <laughs> this week is Valentine's week. February is the month of love. We give Valentine gifts to the one we love, and we want that person to love us in return. Right? Even from childhood, we'd give a Valentine to our childhood sweetheart with if if. If you'll be mine, say yes or say no. Remember? So even from an early age, there had to be something in return for us. So this is number four on your paper. And so here's my challenge today. To me and to you. Because I'm not just offering you a challenge where I can be tested and have completely arrived in that challenge. So this is my challenge And this is your challenge, and here it is. It's number four on your paper. Look for ways to love others in a manner that will require something of you. I challenge you to look for ways to let the evidence of your Christianity be seen in the way you love others. Can you say amen? Well, I better let you go. Where's Steve? He's not here, so I guess I'll, I'll close. Yeah. Now, I wrote this message, and I promise you I did not see it being so serious. I didn't. I thought this would be great. It's Valentine's week, Sam, I'll just get all mushy and would you bow your heads with me please remember I said a moment ago that it's by his spirit I said a couple of weeks ago I asked you to invite him to love you today I'm going to ask you and I'm going to pray over you right now And then we're going to close this off and go have chicken. I'm going to ask you to invite him to show you how to do this and to give you the grace by his Holy Spirit to love others in this sacrificial way. In fact, I'm going to to challenge you to look for opportunities this week. It might be at Myers might be at the gas station. It might be at the line in the line at Starbucks. Might be on the job. Might be in school. Might be in your home with your spouse, your children, and your dog. I wrote this prayer down because I wanted, it was something the Lord gave me while studying this week. And so I'd like to, I bring this to you as a prayer. So bow your heads, close your eyes. Jesus, you are the author of love. You are the originator of love. And we only know love because you loved us first. We only really truly know love because you're the only one that really showed it, 
what it looks like. And you love us so individually, so specifically, and so sacrificially. I can't, I can't understand it. I don't know why you do, Lord. But you love me so individually, so specifically, and so sacrificially. You love us in the midst of our mess. You love me in the midst of my sin. You love us in the midst of our rebellion. You love us even when we're standing against you. You love us even despite the pain that we inflict on others. You love us in our mess. It's that love. That selfless, self-sacrificing love that you want us to show other people. But we fall so short in our humanity, Lord. It is by your Spirit. Not by our might or our power or our poetic eloquence. But by your Spirit. And so today I invite you, Lord, to overflow your love in my heart and in my being to love other people the way you've loved me, Lord. And I speak that over every person here, that you would make us better lovers of others. Would you give us a heart and the love to show your love this week to those who need to see it? Would you help us, Lord, to right the wrong that we've held too long against a brother or against a sister because I don't want to be a liar and I doubt very seriously Lord that anyone else within earshot of my voice wants to be a liar either may we stand before you someday and hear you say well done good and faithful servant knowing, Father, that it won't be about how much we've done, but about how well we've loved. And I ask you for this, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Are you blessed today? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. As we go ahead and close out our service today, just want to once again welcome our visitors and say thanks for coming out. And we hope that you had a great time in church today, that you experienced Jesus while you're here. And tell you what, this is a great place to go to church, and it's a great church family. And we really love each other, care about each other. Yeah, so thanks for, for coming out today. Thank you. And in just a few minutes, right around the corner, there's a room that says pray over the door. And our pastors will be back there, and they have some refreshments. So um, if you'd like to meet them, um, please come back. And if you've got kids, you can pick them up first, the RLC Kids area. And uh, just hang out for a minute and shake a hand. It'd be good. Good thing. I'd like to uh, invite our altar prayer ministry altar prayer ministry team to come forward once again and they're going to be up here on both sides of our altar space for 10 or so minutes at the end of our service here
So if you need prayer for anything, they're available for you. And I uh, encourage you to come and receive prayer as uh, this is, you know, one opportunity we have a week. Amen. And uh, obviously you can call on the elders of the church, our emergency prayer hotline, or in the offices during the, the office hours of the week for prayer at any time. And um, Pastor and I would, would love to uh, to pray with you. But uh, our, our prayer warriors are here now, so please take advantage of them. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? All right. Lord, I thank you for this congregation of people, your children, Lord God. I pray that the, the spirit, your spirit of wisdom and revelation would be on them this week, Lord God, that they would be enlightened, their eyes open to you and your love and your compassion, Lord God, and to have your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed.